It's the story of Christmas. It's the story that you know it, you've heard it. It's a story maybe that's very familiar to you. It's a story maybe that you hear every single year at the same time. But it's the Christmas gospel. And I want to invite you to hear it, hear it differently this year. Sit and be still and, and hear the message of a God who gives joy that's come. It comes from Luke's gospel, chapter 2, starting with the first verse. At that time, the Roman Emperor Augustus decreed that a census should be taken throughout the Roman Empire. This was the first census taken when Quirinius was governor of Syria. All returned to their own ancestral towns to register for this census. And because Joseph was a descendant of King David, he had to go to Bethlehem in Judea, David's ancient home. He traveled there from the village of Nazareth in Galilee. He took with him Mary, his fiancée, who is now obviously pregnant. And while they were there, the time came for her baby to be born. She gave birth to her first child, a son, and she wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger, because there was no lodging available for them. That night there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep, when suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified. But the angel reassured them, don't be afraid, he said. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. And you'll recognize him by the sign. You'll find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth lying in a manger. Suddenly the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. It's the gospel. It's the good news. It's why we're here. I don't know all of the events that surrounded to get you here to worship tonight, this Christmas Eve, but it's the good news. It's the good news. That's what the word gospel truly means. The word gospel. The gospel, it's the accounts of Jesus' life. And in the Bible, there's Matthew, there's Mark, and there's Luke, and there's John. They're the gospels, which talk about the good news. We love to hear good news, don't we? We long to hear good news. You can remember some of the best news that you've ever received. And when you think about that news and how it's shaped and it's changed and it's formed, your life, you can remember receiving that news as if it were yesterday. Some of that is, is news that came unexpectedly, surprisingly. It came out of nowhere. You can't believe when you receive it that it actually truly happened. It's, a, it's how I felt when I proposed to my wife, Bridget, and she actually said yes. I'm like, will you marry me? I did the whole roses thing, the get on my knee thing, like I pulled out all the stops. Because when you have news that you want to share, you pull out all the stops, don't you? So why we do Christmas Eve this way. It's why we're not only doing Christmas Eve here at West Des Moines or any of our campuses, but we're also doing it at Wells Fargo tomorrow because when you have good news, you want to share it with everyone. So I pulled out all of the stops, dropped to my knee, and I said, will you marry me? And she said, yes. And I said, say it again. <laughs> you know, like, did, did I hear you correctly? And so I started to call everybody I knew because when you hear good news, you have to share good news. And I started to call all of my friends, and I'm like, I asked her to marry me, and she said yes. 
And much to my dismay, they were all surprised. I said, she said yes. And they said, really? I said, what do you mean, really? You didn't think she was going to say yes? And I said, well, yeah, we know you and we know her. And those two don't seem to go together very well. Sometimes it's surprising. It's unexpected. Sometimes it doesn't even seem reasonable. But other times, that's news that you've been waiting for, for what seems like forever. It's been days, it's been weeks, it's been months, it's been years. That you've been waiting for things to change. For something to end or maybe for something to begin. And when you receive that good news, it's like the biggest weight has been lifted off of your shoulder. There's a levity to you. There's a, a lightness to you that you realize that from this point on, everything's going to be different. You remember those times, right? And with all due respect to those times, the news that we share on Christmas Eve, it's better. It's more powerful. It's the only thing that has the ability to, to transform your heart and your mind and give you the assurance of the certainty of things that you could never do on your own, no matter how hard you try. That's why we tell the good news, the story. But sometimes, if you're like me, the story gets lost in the season. Sometimes the season becomes so busy that by the time it comes to hear the story, you're too exhausted to even listen to it or experience it. Or maybe just the fact that you made it here somewhat close to on time tonight is just short of a miracle. Trust me, I get it. I have kids too. And the fact that my family was here last service and they were all here and they all had clothes on that were clean and everybody's hair was combed. Thank goodness I hardly have any. So it's easy to comb my hair. It was a miracle. And all of the preparations and all of the planning and all of the presents, by the time you get here in this season to hear this story, you miss it. Sometimes the season trumps the story. But it's not just the holiday season. It's not just the Christmas season. It's the season of our lives. Our lives are marked by seasons. You know this. Different times that have come and gone throughout the course of our lives are marked by seasons. They talk about this in Scripture. Way back in the Old Testament, there's a book called Ecclesiastes. It's right after the book of Psalms. And the writer of Ecclesiastes is writing, looking back on his life. And he's asking some really foundational and fundamental questions about what his life has been like. And in reflection, he says that there's a season, there's a time for everything under the sun. And some of those times and seasons are incredibly good. And I pray and I hope and I know there are a lot of you that are here today that are hearing this that are in the middle of a season that's just so good. 
been marked by joy and celebration. And I thank God for that. I praise God for that. Because I also know that there are some of us that are here today that this season, it hasn't been an easy one. And this season is one that you wonder if you're ever going to make it through. And the hopelessness and the despair and the hurt and the anguish is so real that you almost can't imagine life without it. That's why we need the story. In the joys, yes, most certainly, but also in the struggle. Just a couple weeks ago, I was driving uh, back to my office. I had an early morning meeting. It was a Thursday morning. I had a meeting downtown, and I was driving back to my office here at West Des Moines. And I was thinking about just what a season it had been for three different families that I was uh, involved with. Just the day prior on that Wednesday, I was meeting with a young man who just last year had lost his mom. Tragically, horribly. And he and I were meeting and we continued to meet. We've been meeting uh, even before his mom had passed away and, and trying to make sense of everything that was going on as if you could ever make sense of something like that. And just that morning, I had been exchanging messages with a grandmother who had just celebrated the life of a newborn grandchild, who she just found out the first day of that child's life that she was going to have to have, the newborn was going to have to have open heart surgery, a procedure that had an equally likely chance to save her life as it did to take her life. And a mixture of emotions of celebrating this new life and fearing how long you're going to be able to treasure this life. And the next day after that, I was getting ready for a, a, a celebration of life service, a funeral service for a 49-year-old who had died suddenly, tragically of a heart attack just a few days prior. Who had two amazing kids, an amazing spouse, and a wonderful family. I thought, man, it's quite a season for all of them. I wonder what's the hope in the season. We need it, don't we? We need something more. We need, we, we, inherently we know this. Deep down in our core, we know when we find ourselves in those situations that we need something that's bigger, that's stronger, that's more powerful than whatever we on our own efforts could ever bring to it. See, that story of Christmas. 
It's not the story of something that happened in so, so, so much of the distant past that it's just something that we, we, we celebrate, that we remember, and, and, and in the remembrance we do all of those things. No, it's a story that has everything to do with our lives right here and right now that brings us joy. Where do you find your joy? <laughs> In our family, we have this tradition uh, that with our kids, our, our kids are uh, just seven and a half year old, years old and just about six years old. And so they're at the age where Christmas is just like crazy and it's awesome and it's wonderful. So we need to put parameters really early, like early in the season, like in July on when they can open their presents. Because it's July, they're already asking like, when do we get to open our presents? We're like, it's July. You have a birthday before it's Christmas. But yeah, when do we get to open presents? And we have an order of things. Because I don't know about your kids, but my kids are nuts. And so we have to have some order in our house. And so they have to, we have to do church first. We have to do worship. And our kids are like, why do, just to make you feel better. My kids are like, why do we have to go to church? Why do we have to go to church before we open presents? And we always try to tell them in a very calm and mild-mannered way that without Christmas you wouldn't get presents, but they don't understand. So we say, we have to do church first. And my son, God bless him, he's like, but dad, church is so boring. <laughs> Watch it, kid. So for those of you who have kids that say church is boring, so does the preacher's kid, so you can feel a little better about yourself. So I can ground your kid too, it's fine. So but what church service do we get to open them after? Because we start on the 22nd. We say, well, we'll have 75 of them at Hope. You have to wait till the very last one. And it's torture and it's miserable. And you know why? Because my kids are a lot like me because they think that maybe that there's something that they're going to open up this Christmas that's going to give them something that's going to complete them. And unless you're eight years old, I bet you don't remember what you got when you were seven. And I hope to God you're not still playing with it. But we have a way of doing that, don't we? Now I'm not talking about the presents under the tree. I'm all for those, trust me. I have such a hard time with presents, there's no mystery where my kids get it from. And I think all of it is wonderful and I think all of it is great. And they're bought with care and with love and with an intentionality. But sometimes, we have a way of putting so much emphasis on the things of this world, thinking that those things are the things that are going to satisfy our souls, that are going to give us joy. But they don't have the power to. Because they're not going to last. They don't have the ability to last forever. No matter how well-meaning they are and how heartfelt they are, they can't transform us. And neither can our relationships or our jobs 
or our popularity or our fame. We need to find joy from something far deeper than that. Even Jesus himself said in John chapter 16 that in this world we will face trouble of every kind. To somehow think that our lives we can only experience joy if we are void of the real life circumstances that our humanity and our existence brings. It's impossible. So where's the joy? What happens if the light goes out? Where do you find it? Sometimes I think the experiences of our life cause us to start to wonder about the value of who we are, the people of the people around us. I think there's a, a, a misconception we have sometimes, or we can start to think sometimes that, that, that humanity at its core, or our, our world at its core, is, is somehow getting worse and worse and worse and worse. And we forget that, that every one of us has been created in the very image of God. At the very beginning, Genesis chapter 1, God creates the sun, the moon, the stars, the earth, and everything in between. He creates the mountains and the rivers and the streams and the oceans. He creates the birds of the air and the fish of the sea and the animals of the dry land. And he creates you and he creates me. He creates humanity in his image, in his likeness. And at the end of all of creation, God steps back from it. And God saw all that he had made and he saw that it was very good. When's the last time you've given yourself permission to see how very good you are? Psalm 139 says that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. How wonderfully complex we are. And I think it's a tragedy that's Somehow there's something that changes inside of us that, if we're going to be honest, sometimes when we look at the mirror, we see the person who's looking back at us and we only can see that which is wrong with that person, not what is right. And we start thinking maybe that there's something wrong with me or maybe there's something that's incomplete or something that there's, maybe there's a flaw about me. And it breaks my heart how many of us and trust me, I'm not somebody who's figured this out, who's telling you all to live. This is something I've struggled with my entire life. That I often see what I don't like about me rather than seeing the beauty of who God's created me to be. And we need to change that trend in our culture. Because there are too many of you that are young in this room who somehow think that you are not valuable that you are not precious, that God doesn't have extraordinary and amazing plans in you, for you. That maybe your value and your merit and your worth comes by what others think or what others say or what others portray. God looks at you, sees how very good you are, That's why we need the story. 
Because without it, sometimes we can wonder, where's the hope? The darkness sometimes can feel like it's closed in in a way that we start to wonder about the light. There's a group of friends that my parents had as I was growing up. We spent so much time with them. It's about seven couples, and they called themselves the birthday club. I have no clue why they call themselves the birthday club. 40 years old. I've been a part of the birthday club for 40 years. Still don't know. But the birthday club did everything together. Celebrated life together. They did life together. I tell you, as I was little, every, every birthday I would get a card from the birthday club. I started to think that the birthday club was actually a person. Like maybe if I write to the birthday club, the birthday club will give me more presents. I don't know. But it was this group of people that celebrated every milestone of my life. And my siblings' lives and their children's lives. My birthdays, confirmation, graduation, both of high school and college, my engagement, my marriage, the birth of our children, always celebrated, shared milestones with one another. It's those relationships that go so deep. It's those relationships that we've been focusing in on this last year, year at, at Hope. As we close out our year to, be, to know and to be known, the importance of having a community that can surround you, that can do life with you. That was the birthday club for us. This past year, there was a milestone that happened in the birthday club that you never would have wished for. Because one of the families lost a child. Dave and Leah Heidi, it's the picture of their family Dave, the dad, he's way over on the left. Uh, Leah is his wife. She's in the purple in the front. They have four children. Leif, he's the one in the back with the big beard. He has a beard and his name is Leif. It means he's tough. And he was 10 years older than me, so I thought he was a mythical Norseman. He was just larger than life. Kaya is the one who Dave, her dad, has his hand on her shoulder. Kaya is about eight years older than me, about a year older than my brother. Then they have Bjorn, whose face is kind of uh, clouded by his son. Bjorn was a year older than me. Can you tell that they're Scandinavian? Leif, Kaya, Bjorn. And then they have Solve, the youngest daughter, who uh, is on Leah's left, who is next to her husband. Just this fall, Kaya, the one who's next to her dad, she lost her fight with cancer. And I've thought a lot about Dave and Leah and Leif and Bjorn and Solvay. Because I wonder where the hope is for them. Where is the joy? What does this Christmas feel like? The Bible says in Psalm 46 that God is our refuge and our strength. But it's hard to trust that when we're in the middle of that season, isn't it? And sometimes I think we look at ourselves and we look at the story of Christmas and the story of the birth of Jesus Christ and we 
don't see the, any way how we could fit into that story. And that's why we need to go back to the story. And we need to see what a curious crowd was there at the birth of Jesus. Luke, the writer of this gospel, this story of Jesus' life, is very intentional with how he tells the story of Jesus' birth. Other gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, and, and John, they tell the story a little bit differently. John, at the beginning of his gospel, says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. John is highly concerned that everybody who hears the story of Jesus would know that this is a God who's come in the flesh. But Luke is very intentional in making sure that we know that Jesus is a God who's entered into the mess, into a stable, into a manger, feeding trough, a place that no respectful person would ever bring a newborn into. It's the power of the story. Think about the central people involved in this story. You have Mary. We know the story about Mary. We know that an angel had appeared to Mary and said, Mary, you're going to become pregnant. You're going to be the virgin who's going to become pregnant. And Mary, this child that you're going to carry and you're going to give birth to is going to be the savior of the world. And that's an incredible story. But I have to wonder... From the time that the angel announced that to Mary and when Jesus was born, if she somehow wondered if it was just too good to be true. Did she get it right? Could this actually possibly be real? I wonder if you ever think about that with faith. You ever hear the story of, of faith and Christianity and you think to yourself, Man, this just seems way too good to be true. Seems either like a fairy tale or people with their head in the sand. Or you have Joseph. I don't think we spend enough time talking about Joseph. Joseph was engaged to be married to, to Mary, and Mary comes up to him and has to tell him that, that she's pregnant and it's not his child. And Joseph had made it up in his mind that he was going to dismiss her quietly. But God appeared to Joseph in a dream and says, Joseph, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. And tells him the story. And, and sure, we can look at the story from the end looking backwards. But if I'm Joseph, I have to think, God, I know that you're a God who has plans. But right now, I'm, I'm questioning the, the goodness of your plans because because this thing is costing me an awful lot. I'd, I'd much rather have it go a different way. Maybe you feel like that. Or the shepherds. It's the one that the angel appeared to. The angel that Ivan is so beautifully painting for us right now. The angel appears to the most curious of them all, the shepherds, who if there was a social ladder at the time of Jesus, the shepherds would have been on the bottom. They were beyond hope. They were scoundrels. They were loners. They were the lowest of the low. Irredeemable, people would say. Which maybe that's where you find yourself. 
See, we need to know the story that gives us the ability to take joy in the season. The reality that we have a God that loved us so much that he entered in. The central theme, the central story of, of God and his people we can see summarized in John chapter 3, verse 16 that God loved the world so much. God didn't just love those who were perfect. No, God loved the world. The world had, at that time seemed like a complete mess. And God didn't expect the world to get it figured out for God to enter in. But from John's perspective, he said, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, the Word was God. And this Word became flesh and made his way and made his home into our lives. That no matter what the season you find yourself in, right here, right now, you have a God that brings you life, that brings you joy, that brings you light, a light that can push the darkness away. Find joy in the light. It's the only gift that has the ability to last you a lifetime and beyond. Oh, this world can be hard, but God's love is stronger. It's greatest, greater. It's more eternal than that. This Christmas, open your heart to receive the light. Sit back. Be still and hear the beauty and watch the glory of the angel who delivers a message of light to the world. Watch, see, hear.
The prophets had spoken about this centuries before the birth of Jesus. The prophets, Isaiah chapter 9, it says the people that would be walking in darkness, a light would shine. For a people who were living in a land of deep darkness, a light was dawning. That wasn't a message that was given just to people centuries before the birth of Jesus Christ. It's the promise that's given to you and it's given to me. It's the story and it's the promise that we celebrate this Christmas. That a light has come, that a light is shining, that joy has entered into the world. Joy and unspeakable and unrivaled joy. It's the only thing, it's the only thing that, that could stand in the face of the things of this world that we can't overcome. Just a few months before Kaya passed away, there was a post she made on her Instagram, her social media. It was something she posted. They actually used it on the inside of the, the program for her funeral. The words to the hymn, it's well with my soul. Because when you know that you're up against something that you can't on your own defeat, you know you need someone who's greater, who's stronger, who's more eternal, who is eternal. She said, if you see it at the bottom, she said, it's, it's my heart's hymn. That no matter the storms that swell in my life, that rage in my life, it will be well because I have a God who became flesh, who entered in. It's what Paul writes about in Philippians chapter 4, verse 4. He says, I have found the secret to, to living and enduring through every circumstance that any season of life, I've found the story that can trump the season of my life. Whether I'm rich or I'm poor or I'm hungry or I'm well fed, it is joy, it is God, it is the promise and it is the life of Jesus Christ that sustains sustains me, that gives me hope, that gives me life. It's joy that has come into my circumstance that gives me the ability to hold on and to make my way through. It's the message that the angels proclaimed, that it was good news. It was good news, the angel said to the shepherds. It was good news that would give great joy Good news, the angel says to the shepherds. I bring you good news. Better news than you could ever imagine. I bring you good news. And this good news will give you great joy. Not a shallow joy. Not a circumstantial joy. Not a joy that's dependent on what others around me are doing, but a joy that's deeper, a joy that lasts longer, a joy that, that carries all the other emotions in my life and keeps me grounded in the love and the grace of Jesus Christ. Great joy this good news will give you. Nothing else will do. Nothing else. Man, I can't tell you that if you're there right now, open your heart. If you're saying, what do I need to do to make God love me? You don't need to do anything. He already loves you, so quit trying so hard. He loves you whether you acknowledge it or not. And he gave himself into this world whether you asked him to or not. That's good news. 
And that gives great joy. And that, my friends, is for all people. It's for all people. Regardless of where you've been, what you've done, what you believe, what you've followed, it's for you. This Christmas, every Christmas, every day of your life, good news, great joy, all people. It's the message that was given to Mary. It was the message that was given to Joseph. It was the message that was given to the shepherds, the most curious crowd you could ever imagine. But more importantly, right here tonight, it's the message for you. It's what makes this such an incredibly holy night. To receive God's life and his light right in to our circumstances. So I invite you to take out your candles. And while Sandy gifts us with this song, O Holy Night, watch as the light taken from the Christ candle fills and transforms this room as it goes from your hand to the person next to you, just like God's word. Oh, holy night, the stars are brightly shining. It is the night of our dear Savior's birth. Long lay the world in sin and error pining. Till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. A thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices for yonder. Lay thus in lowly may. 
Praise God for Sandy and his gifts and blessing us. It's for Mary, it's for Joseph, it's for the shepherds, it's for you. It's passed on from one to the other that lights up the room, that changes, that transforms the environment. It's the invitation. This gospel, this message isn't just for you, it's for the world around you. This joy has come for you, but also for, for everyone that you would encounter. This silent night, this holy night, this tradition that we end Christmas Eve with every year, as Joseph and Mary will lead us in the first verse of Silent Night, and Perry and the worship team will lead us in the end. Let this be a holy night, beautiful night, perhaps a transforming, life-changing night for you. Let's sing, let's be glad, let's rejoice. Follow Mary and Joseph to the cradle to Jesus.